under attack by machine gun wielding sirens. Apparently, that's what that was. Yes, it sounded like a like in an anime when two swords hit each other. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, totally. Anime samurai machine gun wielding zombie sirens. I don't know why. Sounds pretty good. Hi, I'm Gore. I'm Jamie. (laughs) Pure serious in character now. For like two seconds, it didn't last. And this is the Pixels and Panels Giant Size Comics Podcast, where we talk about comics, uh, and yeah. (laughs) Knife-wielding siren zombies. That too. (laughs) Because why not, right? Exactly. Alright, this week we are kicking off with Star Wars number one. Before I say anything else about it, I feel like I should describe my reaction when I heard this book was coming out. My first reaction was... Hey, another Brian Wood comic. Ouch my wallet, but this should be good. Then I read the description of what the book was and kind of said, who is asking for this? Who said there is not enough stuff between two of the movies before we actually know anything about the Star Wars saga, really? And we should have more of it. It's like they're just trying to... To fill every nook and cranny of the Star Wars universe with something. Like it's a English muffin that has been violated over and over and over again. Don't give me that face. <laughs> Just the imagery is so... <laughs> um, so comic. <laughs> and then I started reading interviews of Brian Wood and looking at the pretty covers from Alex Ross and said, Alright, fuck it, I'm gonna try this. Um... So here we are, Star Wars number one, Brian Wood on scripts, uh, Carlos Dianda? Dianda. Dianda, sorry. I guess. Carlos Dianda as on art, and uh, this turned out actually pretty well. Um, since the only thing that has occurred in the Star Wars universe so far is the original movie, we don't know anything about the backstory and family history of the Skywalkers, really. Um, this... This book is theoretically going to be more of an adventure series and less of a giant hero myth saga type of thing because we haven't really broached in that territory yet. And Star Wars doesn't really until you get into Empire. Um, So Brian Wood does a smart thing and has starts off with He uses the cast of the movie as an ensemble. They're all off doing different things. Um, They're all trying to achieve relatively small goals. The the Rebellion needs a new home because the Empire knows where they are now. Um, And... Han... Han is apparently... (laughs) Han Solo is apparently ignoring the fact that Jabba the Hutt wants him dead. (laughs) Because... Money. He's a a gangster, apparently, if some of the art in this this comic is to be believed, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, Even Darth Vader Vader probably has the best best moments of the book, uh, where he has to deal with being scolded by the Emperor, um, (laughs) and summarily does what any good uh, bureaucrat would do and blame somebody else by throwing a Tarkin to the wolves. Under the galactic bus. So yes, yeah. under the galactic bus. D- the death bus. Death bus, yes. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's... He focuses a lot on the characters. You get uh, you get some good moments between Luke and Leia, 
which uh, treads the line between familial and romantic, since they don't know their siblings yet. Um, like I said, Darth Vader is displayed as uh, being very frustrated with his position. Uh, and one of the most important things, I think, is you see a moment where he just says says the word Skywalker, where he's realizing that he heard that name, and hey, that's my name. I was supposed to have kids at some point. What's going on here? Which I think is really important, because even, even watching the original trilogy, I always felt it was a little weird that as as an audience we go from Darth Vader's the bad guy to all of a sudden he's spouting stuff about being Luke's father. There was no... You never see him realizing what's going on. He just suddenly knows. So it's nice to see him do this, especially where he's dealing with the Emperor. Because um, you see, he's been essentially the Emperor's lapdog for like 20 years now at this point. Uh, the fact that he uh, potentially has a child in Luke means that he might have a reason to care that he's just been this guy's lapdog for a while. And that, should, that you know, they play that up in some of the other uh, Expanded Universe stuff too. But to see that seed really hit him is a really good character moment for him. Um, so yeah, I really dig there. It doesn't, he... Brian Wood sets into motion a lot of all of these kind of stories. So he's got them... He's uh, got a lot of balls in the air. Uh, they don't go too far with them yet but it, it's nice to see that he's juggling a lot of things here yeah um, i didn't know exactly what he was going to what he was planning on doing uh beyond the it's set after the first slash fourth movie uh <clears throat> but i really liked the the the, the three tale sort of thing that right. he's going for i love the 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 multiple narratives um, I think if it had just focused on one, it probably wouldn't have. I may not. I may not have been as engrossed. Right. Uh, and I think that that's definitely gonna. It kind of has a uh, Jason Aaron Wolverine of the X Men kind of feel because each of sure. the stories has its own kind of theme that it seems to be going. And this is only the first issue, but you know the Luke and Leia theme is kind of like spies hunting spies. You know, action. Uh, and then there's the Han and Chewie doing almost goofy, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, wacky hijinks with the, the joke, quote unquote joke characters. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the super emotional and, and inward all, uh, Darth Vader stuff. Yeah. Those and Darth Vader scenes just like, you can feel the seething rage that he has to be feeling at that point and yeah. everything that's going on and his embarrassment over the loss of the Death Star combined with, who is this Skywalker person they're talking about, all that, it really comes through. Yeah, it, it's really psyched me up for the rest of it. it. It was told, it just the way he told the whole thing was pretty pretty great. I should say, uh, Le- I really like his handling of Leia in this as well. She gets, she does a lot more, so much in this issue, it's almost as much as she does in the entirety of like the second movie. Because in the second movie, she be, more or less becomes the damsel in distress. She does a little bit more in Return of the Jedi, but she doesn't really do much. And this you get to see her, she knows how to fly an X-Wing. She's not as good as, say, Wedge, who, by the way, Wedge ends up playing quite a uh, quite a role in this. And from what Brian Wood said in interviews, he's going to continue playing a big role in this. Um, well, somebody who got kind of shafted in all the movies. Right. You know. <laughs> Wedge Antilles, hero of the Republic. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, he's going to deal with his emotional fallout having just lost his entire squadron. Um, 
So, yeah, and all the voices feel really natural. They feel right. They feel like if you put this as a script in front of, say, uh, Harrison Ford. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Any of them. Yeah. This would come out really well. One of the fun things, too, with Leia, uh, I like that she she's reporting to Mon Mothma. Um, well, besides just that Mon Mothma is a fun thing to say. It's but, true. Um, reporting to Mon Mothma, and it's almost like a mirror relationship between what uh, Darth Vader's doing with the Emperor. They each have their... their Saying, saying that Mon, Moth- Mon Mothma's a... Uh, her master is overstating it it's not they don't have that same relationship but they're each the right hand of somebody who's who's running this war uh so that's kind of nice to see because most most of the most of that uh symmetry is spent in the movies on uh anakin and luke where layers just like hey i had a girl who cares but it's nice to see that where darth vader is playing both the fallen jedi and the right hand of a political empire that she's that political energy where Luke is the the other side of that Jedi coin. Um, the art in it is the art's not bad. It feels off. It feels wrong for a book that's going for a that's so stuck in the classic Star Wars era. It feels like feels a little modern yeah it feels a little too modern for it especially it looks very very digital which ironic considering where star wars has gone in the, <laughs> in the day but it feels yeah too modern um some of the there are a couple poses in here that just made me stop and laugh unintentionally there's a one page after uh after darth vader's uh scolding at the hands of the emperor where he's just he has this haters gonna hate walk going on, his shoulders held high, and it's just kind of hilarious. There's another scene where Han Solo looks like he's he's like a gangster throwing up signs or something. It's all those parts are a little, little weird, but uh, besides that, it's solid. The storytelling is solid. It's just a style. I feel like a, a somebody with a more old school style would have been better suited for it or even just uh, uh less digital inking and digital coloring would have made this style feel less out of place but this is the way i mean this is the way comics are being made at, at the moment and danda's art's not bad so there you go i would like i want to point this out as soon as they board the redemption the the returning x-wing fighters uh they board the the alliance ship there's a panel where there's a guy with those hand lights that's guiding them in i looked at that and i went that guy's dual wielding lightsabers <laughs> really? and then my mind went really really short lightsabers and then i went oh no i'm just dumb <laughs> that just something made me laugh out loud but no yeah uh i feel the same way about the art it is weird in some spots i feel like i feel like he did a uh, it did a pretty good job of doing his version of these iconic actors right um yeah, you representations know, of I mean, actual people are always hard. It's hard, especially if you, if you do it too much, then it looks weird and fo- super hyper uh, photo um, reference stuff is doesn't always work out yeah. that great. But if you go too far, you know, it, you, you kind of lose something. I feel like that at least in his character designs, there, there's a good balance between those two. But you're yeah. totally right about the uh, the the inking or not the inking, just the colors of everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's solid. I'm on board for the next issue. Oh yeah, I'm excited. I want to see where this goes. He uh, 
I've been listening and reading to some interviews with Brian Wood. He said, uh, you know, there's a lot of rumors going on about Marvel taking over the comics or whatever, but he works for Marvel anyway, so that theoretically wouldn't be a problem. Uh, but as far as he knows, Dark Horse has the license for at least this year, and he signed on to do this series for at least this year. So there should be at least 12 issues of this, so if it's not a good ongoing series, it ought to at least be a good miniseries. So. There we go. Yeah. It'll be good. All right. The next comic we're going to talk about today is Thor, God of Thunder, number four, written by Jason Aaron with art by Asad Ribic. Uh, and this, of course, continues the story, the three-pronged story of Thor interacting with Gore, the God Butcher. I don't know why I did that. Why not? <laughs> sure, why not? You can't say the God Butcher without putting a little bit of emphasis behind yeah, it. Yeah, seriously. Well, you just did, but... <laughs> Yes, but I am hollow on the inside, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah. You don't get Much to be like the Gore. <laughs> no, Gore, the God Butcher. I just realized he, we have the same name if you just spell it out or say it out. Well, his full name is Gorik, isn't it? Is it? I thought Gore was short for something else. I Gorik don't think I ever like said. That. You know what? I'm not going to worry about it. Gore, the God Butcher. <laughs> I'm just Gore. Well, I know what your new gamer tag is. <laughs> I'm totally stealing that. <laughs> uh, but no, this issue kind of shows a lot more of the old King Thor that we than we had in previous issues, which is really nice because they kind of only uh, they showed him at the end of the first issue just being like, "Ah, I'm gonna fight you," um, <laughs> except a little more you know awesome than that. Uh, and then in kind of weird like single uh, panel flashbacks. And this one kind of tells the tale of how he has lives in Asgard. Everything and everything and everything there is just dead. Everything and everyone there is dead and gone, and he's just there. This is thousands and thousands of years in the future, and he keeps on going on and battling the Black Berserkers, Gore, uh, the God Butchers, uh, hounds. I guess you could call them. And every time they eventually overwhelm him and then they put him back on his throne, uh, leaving him to this fate that he, you know, he won't even let him, uh, Gore won't even let Thor die. He'll, he just keeps So it. it's like the divine nursing home of doom. Basically. Nice. It's really, like, he finds it most upsetting. Uh, you also, in this issue, kind of, it's, it's revealed uh, a little bit of what happened in the cave, that was the big uh, cliffhanger from the last issue, and it was mostly just Thor being tortured by Gore, the God Butcher, and trying to figure out, basically him boasting and trying to figure out where all of Asgard is and everything. Uh, I'm just explaining what the issue is. <laughs> That's okay. At this point. Um, no, uh, this issue, I think, has the most interplay between stories. Right. Between the, the three stories. Uh, a lot of the other ones kind of only focus on one. The last issue had a little bit of young and old Thor. This one has an equal amount of all three of them. It has everything from the what happened in the cave, old King Thor explaining his position and how he feels he's, you know, he just wants to die at this point, which is, you know, this intense torture, uh, as well as some actual intense torture in the cave. And uh, modern, quote-unquote, modern-day Thor kind of... Uh, chasing down Gore, the God Butcher, and uh, trying to find out what's going on. And it is it is revealed 
to him that he is using the power of these time traveling gods to time travel uh, but to what end we don't know because the story kind of ends or well the, the issue kind of ends and you see Gore going around just saying oh I'm going to um, all these gods they're going to they're definitely going to fear me he makes it sorry in this issue he makes it clear that he is not a god he is hmm. seething with hate for all gods ever which is and it's super intense and he's talking to this one god who's basically working his time travel magic on him and he explains that he's going to kill all the gods so it could be that gore has just been jumping around through thor's life and all the other gods but it's really only based in "quote unquote" modern day Thor's time, right? Or he could, uh, or yeah, you don't know which gore it is that is time traveling. At, actually, it's pretty intense. You don't know exactly what's going on. It's a great amount of mystery. Uh, and then, of course, the very last page has the the first time this has happened in this series so far. You see uh, modern age Thor appear in old King Thor's time and just go and it's just like. I'm going to destroy him. Where is he? You know? <laughs> so he's kind of harnessed that. It's, uh, man, it's really good. It is really good. <laughs> I've been loving this issue. Uh, not this issue. This series. Uh, Jason Aaron just weaves a great tale. And he's done it in such a way that it's it's constantly interesting. It's not like his Wolverine and the X-Men stuff where it's three different stories. Right. You f- it's all the same story told through like three different perspectives except those perspectives are all the same person and it's through time that's intense yeah uh and it's and it's um a major feat to undergo and he has done it quite masterfully so far i gotta say um and on top of that ribbick's art always good especially in this issue there are a lot of great just like big splash pages of you know fights there's like all stuff burning down um Everything. There's everything you could ever want in this, and he paints it just beautifully. This book has is a constant delight. Delight every time I pick it up, and once again, I'm just super pumped to. It's one of those books that doesn't really look like any other book right now. It really doesn't. I love that too. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you'll get a lot of comics that have that. There's still a lot of holdover of like Jim Lee fans from the '90s. Right. You'll get a lot of comics. This, that look this like looks that. more like uh, like the good parts of heavy metal. Yeah. Something like that. Like a Frank Frazetta painting, you know? Like the, by the good parts, I mean like Metal Hurlant was French <laughs> and not American. Like the good parts. Yes. Movies. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well. But that's yeah, this book is so good. I, I don't think... I, every issue, that's all we've had to say about it. It's almost upsetting at this yeah. point. Um, it continues to be a really great story. It continues to have a really good art. Um, and... I love it every time it comes out. Why aren't you reading this? It's it's so good. Please go read it. I haven't read this issue yet, but I plan on it. It's 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 continually fantastic. That's that's all I'm going to say about it. All right, shifting gears into the DC universe with the next chapter of Rot World, Animal Man number sixteen. Uh, Jeff Lemire and Steve Pugh and Timothy Green second because they switch up art. Oh yes, that's right. Um. just feels like another issue that some stuff happens and we're not at the end of this yet yeah i'm so sad because 
I think more happened in this issue than in previous ones because they are kind of coming to the end. Sure. Uh, and the last few pages of this kind of have them ready to go off to war. The the group that's been gathering in Animal Man, along with the new Green Lantern, who's a right. plant man, plant man from a plant planet, yes. or a vegetable man, I guess, um, and kind of them getting ready to face off against the Rot Army, which wasn't that what happened last issue. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Sans Green Lantern, they were just like, hey, let's gather some stuff and fight the... Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it feels like... I mean, the big reveal at the end is supposed to be the gatekeepers are the Justice League. But that doesn't feel very surprising. I mean, They've if you're going all... to kill everybody and make them into zombies, obviously the final boss battle is going to be the Justice League. I They've mean. already established that basically everybody fell. Yeah. Although they were like, oh, we don't know where Superman is. I'll give them that. They, were, they did kind of play up... The last issue, they did a good job. Of Which, being of course, like, who's the guy underneath? It's got to be Superman. Everybody. That, it was not to Superman. skip ahead too much, but now we know where Superman is, and it's exactly where you would expect him to be. Yeah, so exactly. They kind of that all that weird. just kind of went out the window, and that 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 built like a bit of tension. That built a nice bit of tension from the last issue. Sure. And uh, that's all kind of gone in this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, like I said, they had already established that in it, when they first got to this world, I think it was in. Swamp Thing, that basically everybody could be turned. I think they had like Superboy, um, yeah, a some whole of the Ravagers or Teen yeah, Titans, a whole slew of other Teen Titans and things like that yeah. were already gone. So it's not so far fetched that you know all the other heroes have fell because they're not present in the rest of the world. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this whole Rot World thing. We're going to talk talk about Swamp Thing here in a minute too, but particularly the Animal Man stuff will read better as as trade not because like some other things the reading as a trade enhances the story and makes it better because you're able to put things together more and flow but the other side being in a trade will mask some of the weaknesses if you're reading it all as one thing then it feels less like well i just got this new issue of animal man and it's just kind of treading water if you just have it all as one story to read it's just another part of the story and as long as the end is satisfying, that can make up for the, some weakness in the middle. But as serialized, it just feels like it's taking forever to get get to the point. Exactly. Uh, if it's in a... When you're in a book and you're reading a part, you kind of just keep going until you are don't have any more time. Or you kind of reach a part where you're like, oh, okay, that's a good stopping point. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like a lot of these issues will just be, you'll be able to blow through them pretty easily. Not because yeah. there's not a lot there, it's just because, like you said, treading water. We've, we've right. kind of, it's been expanded past where it, I guess, should have been. Yeah. It, it, this story could have fit, uh, and possibly have fit better in a shorter amount of time. Yeah, it feels like it got drawn out a lot. I don't know if that was hubris on the writer's part, or if it was an editorial thing, or what, but... It feels like it's been drawn out. Like I said, I feel, I feel like if I were sitting down reading this all at once in like a trade or something, it'd be like, oh, cool, plant, plant Green Lantern, that's cool, blah, blah, blah. See, I, and this just feels like, like really, that's all you've got for me this issue? Come <laughs> on. I feel like uh, it might have had something to do with editors and writers. Like they, because uh, Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire kind of teamed up on this one to right. you know, write these coinciding titles. Uh, and they might have had like, oh, I wanted to put this in. Oh, well, I don't have anything after that. Oh, well, well you got to have something there because our issues have to coincide. Right. It it does. I don't know if this is just me or if it's just on the readers' end, but it feels a little bit like uh, Animal Man was coming faster out of the gate, 
and it had to slow down a little bit to keep pace with Swamp Thing, which was a slower build. Definitely. Um, I don't know, that's just speculation based on what it feels like from reading both of these books. Well, uh, uh, Swamp Thing almost had its, uh, basically had his own arc, slash possibly, uh, sort of two arcs, yeah. that tied into this, but he still had them on his own. Right. Whereas Animal Man just, right out of the gate, was yeah. just like, ah, we're in right. the, the Rock World stuff. Well, not Rock World proper, but basically. Dealing with the rock creatures. Yeah, exactly. Where Swamp Thing was still trying to find himself. So is, it might just still be balancing out from that. Yeah. Um, it sounds like we don't like this. I actually still like this story. Uh, but you're but it, it is just how drawn out time. it is. Yeah. yeah. I feel like one thing they might have been able to do uh with these two books, we keep on talking about Swamp Thing, we're gonna talk about it in a second. Uh is they could have done something a few years ago when they did the Sinestro Core War. They had two books that were telling one story. Yeah. Uh that was Green Lantern and Green Lantern Core. And what they did was each issue each next issue of one of those yeah. told the next bit of the story. Yeah, old school X-Men crossover style. Exactly. And that might have worked a little bit better, especially because these two books are meant to be linked together. It's not like a big crossover between like three or four books where you're like, oh, I'm not getting that book. I, so I, I feel don't... like this might have to do with... Uh, it, it seems like since the New 52, DC Comics have been very careful about how they how much they mix and cross over stuff in certain yeah. ways because they want to keep the trades nice and clean and easy to follow. Like like with the the Batman stuff, they did Batman Volume 1, and then they did Night of the Owls as a separate hardcover with all of the crossover stuff from the Night of the Owls stuff. Mm. And then they did Batman Volume 2, which is the rest of Batman's issues with the Court of Owls stuff. So it feels like they were trying to purposely give them separate stories so that they can have a quick and simple... Animal Man Volume 2 or 3 and a quick and simple Swamp Thing Volume 2 and 3 rather than having to throw them together in a more expensive uh, package, especially considering these are the these are still considered like second tier books to them. They they get published in paperback, not in hardcover. If they did a bigger book, it would almost necessitate it being hardcover, which is probably more than they wanted to spend on producing it. It's possible, which is upsetting because these were our favorite books from the New 52. This, these two and Batman, I think were the top three sure. for me because they were just fantastic. I mean, especially when they did travel foreman on Animal Man. Oh, exactly. They that didn't. Blew ex- my mind. They definitely didn't expect it, no. uh, which is you know kind of unfortunate. But that's how it goes. All right. Well, Animal Man, meh, it's kind of just dragging at this point, um, waiting for Swamp Thing to catch up. Still not bad, but you know, there's a little more of that. It's uh, there. Jeff Lemire does like his uh, corny, kind of corny superhero dialogue too sometimes. <laughs> I know I mentioned that about, I think, Dead Man in the last one. I forget who it was in this, if it was Constantine or uh, Black Orchard or Animal Man, but somebody had some more of those just like, I'm a superhero, I'm going to beat you up kind of lines. <laughs> yeah. You see, and I fought so hard for uh, when he used it with Dead Man. I was like, oh, it makes sense. <laughs> uh, and then you got to ruin everything. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> I love you. You're not listening to this. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to bother. All right. Well, since we're already talking about it, basically, the next issue we're going to talk about is Swamp Things, number 16, written by Scott Snyder with art by Yannick Paquette. Paquette? Paquette, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I never get it right. This is... uh, The last one kind of left off with a, 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 a bit of Batman... Uh, let's call it crossover. <laughs> sure. Even though it's not in anything else. Um, you know, Swamp Thing dealing with, like, Barbara Gordon and also Batman, which in this one is revealed that he is, like, one of the crazy creatures. Yeah. Um, 
but she's keeping him alive for like a promise, which is such like a weird hint at something. But I don't know. Like, there's nothing to like um, cross like reference she, that with. Yeah, there's no there's no way of knowing what she's talking about. Yeah, I exactly. feel like it, it she's being be, vague and stuff. She promised Dick Grayson or somebody, somebody or, or Alfred or whatever. Watch, it'll come back in the next issue or something. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be totally Superman. important. Yeah, totally. Um, and this issue. Swamp Thing, like we were saying, has always been kind of a slow builder. Um, and this one kind of sees things come to a natural head with war at the end. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> they go to war. <laughs> They've been talking about going to war for the past half a year. So. Yeah. Uh, but what I like about this issue in particular is that it starts off with the, the Justice League reveal of, oh, crap, they have Superman. Yep. You know? And then it kind of works its way back. And Swamp Thing's just like, oh, no. And then it goes back and tells the story how he got to there. Uh, and I, I just like that kind of format where it just kind of throws it to you. And then at the very yeah. end... Recontextualizes what his dialogue was entirely. Yes. Yeah. This was written extremely well. Yeah. Uh, and it was just crafted greatly. He took a lot of time into knew what he was doing. Not to mention, gigantic bat robot yep. that sprays the... Uh, bio-restorative formula, as yep. well as repurposing Bane's venom injectors yep. to superpower Swamp Thing. I'm Swamp just thing like, this steroids. episode is awesome! Sorry, <laughs> this issue is so awesome! Oh man, the next one's gonna be awesome! I like that they got all the citizens dressed up as Robins, too. Yeah, yeah that was pretty great. Yeah, um, It should be said, uh, Packhead's art, still great. We I say love Packhead's art. I will say Barbara Gordon's entire presence in this book feels like just bait for the Hawkeye Initiative. <laughs> Alright. So, I'm gonna throw this out there. Uh, when she showed up, I was like, oh, okay, Barbara Gordon, sure. And then he's she's kind of his... Not deus ex machina, but deus ex machina. She's, she's a plot device. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She, uh, the way she's dressed feels unnecessarily like revealing yeah like I guess it's like oh she got wings coming out of her back sometimes oh wait whatever. that makes sense now I guess <laughs> it still feels like she has a lot of awkward poses and stuff in this yeah she's got this weird damsel in distress was, look going on <laughs> just on that with her page. hand oh damn me no not Batman I did not want to see him like this <laughs> and you're like come on you're a badass like, and, yeah I know you're better than that yeah um, Oh, also in this issue kind of uh, is the continuing story of Abigail Arcane, which comes to a head. I didn't think it was going to end that way. It well, ends. you know, I, I thought that too, but then I'm like, wait a second, they're rock creatures of death. It might not end this way. I just had the exact same thought. I was reading, I was like, oh man, I really didn't think they were just going to kill her. Oh wait, <laughs> they have dominion over everything dead. Yeah. 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 So, so who it might knows not, where that's it, going? It definitely isn't the uh, the... Well, not definitely, definitely, but it, it might go still go the way we were thinking with Abigail Arcane kind of being behind everything. Um, but it might not, so that was a nice yeah. little twist, too. Um, overall, this was, you know, a pretty solid issue. Yeah. I liked it. I love the idea of uh, Batman totally being like a... This is Batman being Batman. He told uh, all the <laughs> villains who were yeah. uh, immune to the rot, they were like, he was. he said that he had planted bombs in their spine and if they didn't yeah. do what he said they would explode and Barbara Gordon's like there's no bombs but they don't know that 
I thought that was hilarious. That yeah, was that was pretty cool. good. Mm. But yeah, this is a this was a solid issue. Well crafted, like I said. The art I really like. Uh, Paquette's art. I think he does. I love the way he does uh, draws the gutters and just does scene transitions and things like that. He it it, it just feels perfect for this book, and I love the way it's going. Um, Finale is next month. Uh, I'm so excited to so- finally see this end. Yes. That sounds see bad, but see uh, the finale. Um, um, I'll, I'll be glad. It, there's the epilogue issue, and that's it for Snyder and Peckhead. Yeah, unfortunately, but you know, hopefully, it'll keep being good. We don't know. We don't even know. Like this story is so self-contained. I don't even know what Animal Man or Swamp Thing is going to do afterwards. Yeah, Animal Man and Swamp Thing, apart from Rock World, I don't. Is it, it's going to be it's hard to conceive of yeah. at that point. It feels like the whole point of these books. They've been going. On, it'll have been, been going it'll on been, almost two years. Well, yeah, year and a half. Year and a half. Just telling this story. Yeah, it's 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 pretty intense. But but yeah, this was a good issue. Next issues, hopefully, they will equal out in their awesomeness. You know. Yeah. yeah. All right. And the last comic we are going to talk about this week is Avengers Arena. Switching back over to Marvel, written by Dennis Hopeless with art by Kev Walker. And this. Hmm. <laughs> I like this book a lot. Sorry, I was, I was just kind of thinking about it. Um, it jumps around. See, uh, I've gone into this not knowing a lot of these characters. I know maybe three or four. And there were initially 16 right. child, kidnapped, quote-unquote kidnapped children. Uh, and I didn't really know any of them, except for like a handful. Uh, and each issue, instead of kind of focusing on the overarching story uh, initially... It, each issue focuses on basically one character. It's told from the perspective of that character. And it still tells the overarching story, just changes uh, perspectives. Uh, just like Game of Thrones. Interesting. Uh, I, I haven't said this. I haven't been following the series, but it's interesting to hear hear you talk about it because it sounds like a weird kind of experiment. It is a really weird comic Mm -hmm. Um, and each issue has, because it's told from a different perspective um, each of them is peppered with backstory things and it just makes me like these characters even more. Like last issue it had the creator of Deathlocks he turned his daughter into a Deathlock basically but she has control over it so she doesn't know you know, she's just like a little girl, but she has like death, you know, arms that can kill everybody if she, it feels like they, she's being threatened. And this one, it focuses on a young 13-year-old girl who ended up becoming a space pirate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. Cammy is her name. Hmm. She ran with the Guardians of the Galaxy for a while, and then apparently it was just all over the place afterwards. And it's a great, nice character stuff in there where she was captured by, uh, sorry, captured by S.W.O.R.D. and was being interrogated by, oh no, what's her name? Uh, Green hair. Agent Brand. Agent Brand, thank you. Uh, And was great, great character backstory in that right before she was teleported, she was teleported from S.W.O.R.D. to, uh, in theory, or not in theory, exactly, into the uh, arena can I interject something? Sure. There ought to be more things with Agent Brand. There should be. They tried that sword series. It didn't, didn't, yeah, it didn't work out. No. Is, uh, and they should put her in more like uh, 
X-Books because of the whole beast thing. Yeah, she she would show up every now and again in uh, Uncanny X-Men. Uncanny, I remember that. She should be yeah. more nowadays. Yeah. More Marvel now. Anyway. You hear that, Marvel? Yeah. Where Where's the rebooted Sword series? <laughs> I want to read it, except better this time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Avengers Arena. <laughs> Avengers Arena. Man, this book is really good. I just gotta say, like I said, just from the interesting way it... Um, Are you sure it's really good? Because, well, I've heard a lot of petitions being signed to bring back canceled things and save small selling series and whatnot this is the first book that i've ever heard of where people are actually organizing and making petitions to see it canceled really yes it's so interesting though like they're so angry about the dying (sighs) let me just ask you this has nico or chase died yet okay then i don't care (laughs) when they do will you sign that petition maybe Well, uh, this is actually the first issue where they have, they hinted at possibly somebody from the outside being able to help them, but it's only like a, like a one-off mention thing. Um, it's, it's pretty intense. And now that at the end, I'm sorry, it's, it's also kind of revealed that one of them, or possibly not, none of the, none of these, these, these teenagers has gone rogue or are, uh, it's either one of the teenagers, sorry, let me redo it all that, uh, one of the teenagers has gone rogue and is hunting them at night, or Arcade has just let something loose that mm. is just messing with everybody. Uh, and and now at the end, Dark Hawk, who has who's the superhero, older superhero who right. used to be like a kid superhero, has like this awesome emerald that get, or emerald uh, what do you call that ruby that gives him this crazy armor and has all these weapons on it. That was just ripped out of his chest, and now he's dead. And the hunting thing has his armor now. On the the beginning of the or the cover of the next issue, it has something wearing the Darkhawk armor, nice. <laughs> uh, fighting everybody else. And it's it's really intense. This book is interesting, and I don't know where it's going. It could end up. It probably won't end with just everybody dying. If it does, holy crap, that would be intense. Uh, and. And, uh, yeah, I'm just liking a lot of it, on the whole. I, I don't see a problem with it. People are being jerks about it. This is told really well. This is uh, Dennis Hopeless. Keep writing more stuff like this. This is pretty great. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty excited every time this, this comes out. So, yeah. All right. Woo! Yeah. I'm going to start a petition. You also Cable and X-Force, by the way. Oh, yeah. That one was yeah. solid. Yeah, I need to get that. <laughs> I mean... Well, Keep writing more stuff so I can ignore it and not buy it and not read it and not talk about it. Hey, I bought that first issue. They were sold out of all the other ones. Calm down. It's, it's not my fault. Maybe it's a little bit my fault. It's but so okay. Cool. You know what? If there's anybody we can... Bl- if there's any any one entity we can blame for anything going wrong in comics... Diamond. Sure. Yeah, screw them. Nobody, Nobody likes, likes them. them. No one likes them. <laughs> There's just one guy at home with his, like, diamond t-shirt on. So, I love diamond. <laughs> Nobody understands them. <laughs> Alright, this is getting a little ranty. So. Yeah, so... So with that, uh, once again, I'm Gore. I'm Jamie. And this has been the Pixels and Panels Giant Size Comics Podcast. And as always, may your pull box always be full. <laughs>